Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. As always, I'm Clark Coffey, and with me is Mr. Cullen McFader. Hello. Hello. What, what's My allergies on? are better this week, so there will be no sniffles. Oh, right. Excellent. Yeah. Hopefully, I won't have to edit out so many sneezes this time. Exactly. I'm glad that your allergies are doing better. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're here once again to talk about another one of our films that we have, that we spend hours and hours and hours mulling over deciding what to pick what to discuss with you guys there in the mm-hmm. audience and mm-hmm. this time around it's cullen's pick and he has chosen 1995's michael mann masterpiece heat yes mm-hmm. a epic of crime an epic and of romance and an epic of epic drama. proportions of ec- yeah. epicness yeah, I mean, this is not a, by any means, a, a, a not well-known movie, similar to last week's, which was, you know, both these are very famous I've never seen and... this before or heard of it. I uh, Oh, really? Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's an indie. It's, it's Maybe it's popular it's, up here in Canada. It's not I, well, really you know, big in, uh... I know that Michael Mann, uh, you know, he's only made a, a, a few small things, and most people don't mm-hmm. know of him. And here and there. Yeah. I, I, it was actually really hard for me to find this, you know. I had to, I had to dig and dig, and then I finally found uh, a Criterion Collection uh, disc in the uh, bargain bin at my local oh, Goodwill. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and there's uh, not, you know, he doesn't really have that distinctive a style, so you kind of got to really search <laughs> for him when you're watching. And he never he works with big actors, so yeah. it's like, hey, I know, I know. It's It was tough, but I did but I did find a copy. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, no it's, um, but, but it's yeah, true. This is, it's, uh, it's not a... This one is, of my favorites, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah, it's not a hidden gym. Yeah, it's not a hidden gym, and probably most of you out there listening, you, you, have, you have not only heard of, but you have seen this film as well, almost certainly you have. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, let's jump into... Uh, why did you pick it? Um, I actually, I don't, I don't know why it came to my mind. It was, it was a really, as you know, it was a really quick choice. I, I like pretty much as we wrapped up the last episode, I was like, I know exactly what I want to do next right. week. Um, um, I don't, I don't know what spurred it on. Uh, I mean, I guess more broadly speaking, um, it, it's always been a movie that I've loved since I first saw it. I think mm. that it's, it's, you know, by all metrics, I think it's a masterpiece. I think that, um, it's one of those movies that you can watch and you're like, you know, there's there's almost nothing that I, I am like iffy on at all. Yeah. If, if anything at all. It's it's um Well tell me about that I mean, tell me about you know, so this film came out when I was a depending on the month and I forget, but I think probably like freshman or sophomore in college. It was December of ninety ninety five. So okay. So that was I was negative two and a half <laughs> you were negative two and a half so yeah. w- w- when did you first see this movie and what were your thoughts on it for your, when the first time that you saw it um the first time i saw it i i was in probably grade 10 it was right around the time that um grand theft auto 5 came out so 2013 is that why you saw it yeah no i saw so i i played oh, really? gta 5 um and i played a few of the other gta games like i was always a pretty big fan of them they're, they're fun um and there was just so many references to it in the game like even just the story itself half of the heists are heat related and, uh-huh. and the main character is, is is like basically um you know de niro in heat uh-huh um and i um i had seen you know everyone's seen the big gunfight uh in the, the shootout by, at the bank heist yeah um you know it's a really famous on scene. the streets of la um and so i'd seen that and i just remember uh watching it 
or sorry, playing playing GTA and just going like, you know what, I should probably finally see Heat. Now, how did you know that it was based on Heat, though, or that it was inspired? How did you know that the game was inspired I'd, by the I'd movie? just seen the clips before. And okay. Then, you know, it's one of those movies that even though I hadn't seen, I knew a lot you about knew it. You knew of it, And yeah. I knew the vague, you know, storyline, and it was about bank heists and robberies and stuff in, in L.A. Right. Um, and I always, you know, I think that it was one of those things that, like, going into it, I didn't expect to like it nearly as much as I did. Not that I expected to not like it, but I expected to kind of watch it and have it be one of those movies that you're like, yeah, that's good. You right. know, it's a good movie. Um, I did not expect it to, to, you know, be something that is so, you know, again, still to this day, one of my favorite movies. Um, and I think the reason for that was because I had seen Manhunter before. Mm-hmm. Now, before um, you had seen Heat? Before I had seen Heat. Okay. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Manhunter is based on the book Red Dragon, which is the book that came out before Silence of the Lambs. So right. there's like, so that's why I, I've always loved Silence of the Lambs. Yep. And so I had seen Manhunter. Um, and I'm I'm not huge on Manhunter. I think it's it's a fun movie i think it's really good but i think silence of the lambs is is a much better crafted film for that kind of genre and that kind of story i think manhunter's a little bit too like you know miami vice in some places it gets a little bit kind of like crime you know yeah. action for 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 my my right. taste in that you know genre mm-hmm. um and so i don't think i really expected to love heat um but like i do i think this is like a five out of five uh, you know five stars two thumbs up um i think i think the reason for that though is just because how how refined how well crafted how um restrained man's like, direction is like what which, stood out to you when you when you were in 10th grade when you just first the saw i mean it. i think that the the performances as well um but i think that it's and i'm gonna get into this more and you know, I've, I've mentioned this a little bit before, but I, I think that, um, you know, when we talk about Man's Direction, I'll get into it in more detail, but I think that it, it it was kind of the first thing that really introduced me to, like, what I kind of coined as, like, vibe filmmaking, which <laughs> okay, is filmmaking that? where every scene um, exudes the tone, it exudes the, like, the, the theme, um, just the feel, the overall feel of, of a scene is permeated with with the overarching you know theme and tone of the film Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. whether that is the music that is kind of underlying even in the simplest of dialogue scenes where there's just kind of like a little bit of a drone Mm. the cinematography in each scene is so dramatic and heightened but not in a distracting way Mm -hmm. in a way that serves the story really 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 fantastically Um, and so I think it was kind of the first time that that you know, you kind of watch a movie and you go like, you know, you, you're obviously taking things, especially as someone who, you know, was young and really into film and stuff like that. You, you, you're you always trying to pick up on, you know, not necessarily techniques in a literal sense of like writing down like, oh, well, how do they move the right. camera? But down? you're, you're soaking it up. up on, on, yeah, the workmanship of, of a director. Yeah. Um, and I think that this was just something different. It was just, it was something similar, but also different. Like, you know, when something's really accessible and something's really easy to easy to watch and get into sort of very similar to what we were talking about last week um pulp fiction um where it's very accessible it's very easy to get into yeah but at the same time it's unapologetically personal to the person making it mm-hmm. um you know man is all over this movie through and through yeah um and so i think that that's something that really you know proves that it is possible to be a really really individual unique filmmaker while simultaneously making a movie that is pretty widely beloved by by most people mm-hmm. um you know anyone who's 
a fan of, of film usually references this as a, as a really good flick, a really good action flick. Right. It's, you know, it's cited as one of the best action movies of all time. And there's honestly not even a ton of action in it. Um, Ooh, but the action that's there is great. But is, is fantastic yeah, and fantastic. very intense. I mean, I always forget how intense that robbery scene is, the, the shootout. Like, you're, you're yeah. sitting there watching it, and you're like, oh, you know, I know what's coming, I know what's coming. And then suddenly you're just, like, gripped to the screen, and you're, you're on the edge of your seat, literally. Yeah. Just the, it's so, so, and the uh, land, it's so visceral. and then you realize it's one of those scenes where at the end of the scene, when they drive off, you, you, you release your breath and you're like, I was just holding my breath that whole time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's in it the really land, in the land before CGI, these are what, yes. these are the things that yeah. we had kids in the land before yeah. CGI, you know, but, um, well, I, you know, so that's funny. So I guess kind of in a way the, the GTA or video games kind of led you to, uh, to check out this film, I guess, for lack of a right in a, in a, for the most mm -hmm. part. I mean, for, yeah. for me, it's like I grew up, you know, I grew up in the 80s, or at least partially in the 80s, 80s and 90s. And, you know, so I first kind of knew who Michael Mann was because of Miami Vice. Mm -hmm. Miami Vice was he, I think, exec produced that. His name was all over that show. And for I think a he period, directed a few episodes, the pilot, I think. I think. Pro probably, yeah. I don't think many, but a few. But it, definitely his stamp is on that. And uh, that was that that show was like instantly became a big part of pop culture when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I was yeah. like 10 or whatever, that show was like a big part of pop culture and not still you know, is. And, yeah, I guess I, I, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, its impact is still is still felt. And um, uh, so so I kind of had had that uh, a little bit of a background there, you know, not that I like really consciously knew who Michael Mann was. But by the time this came out again, I'm like a sophomore-ish in college. So I kind of, you know, knew all those things. Of course, I knew who Al Pacino was. Of course, I knew who De Niro was. I had seen their other work. They were about as big an actor as, as you could get at the time in 95. Mm -hmm. And um, I had seen other work of Michael Mann's. I'm trying to put the timing down. But I think, you know, Last of the Mohicans I saw in the theater. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was the film that he made right before Heat. So I, I watched that at the theater when it came out, and I liked that quite a bit. So all of it's like, you know, all these things, it's like already on my radar, right? <clears throat> so yeah. so it was like a no-brainer for me to go see this film when it came out. Was this the first time Pacino and De Niro were like, like co-stars co like this? So not, not co-stars but in a scene where they actually yes. acted together. because yeah, they'd been in Godfather, but they never had well, any scenes They'd together. been in Godfather 2. They'd yeah. been in Godfather 2, but they weren't in any scenes together. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was like one of the big marketing hooks for this, right? Where it was like, together, you know, yeah. see Pacino and De Niro, you know, together, you know, in the same film, in the same scene. Um, and speaking of Miami Vice as well, um, I've heard that man's new show tokyo vice is, is really good uh, well i didn't even like know that. that he had a new show yeah, called tokyo he directed vice. the pilot of that as well what is um, he the first episode is that on hbo really. not sure what it's on uh i think it's hbo though i think it's on hbo or or what was something. the name of it again tokyo vice tokyo vice that's interesting it's so based off of a book um yeah, so I think that is on HBO it's Max. HBO, HBO Max, yeah. Yeah, I think um, that's on HBO Max. I'll have to check that in, out, though. Yeah, I've heard I've heard good things about that. But um, no, I think I think that that's you know I Michael Mann is I I knew him as the director that 
defined the driving down a street with the halogen lights above you at night and the camera and the camera's yeah. lights is like placed you know like Super right behind like the, 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 the most iconic scene in miami vice yeah. is the in the air tonight in the air tonight absolutely know. and i think that's and in i the used pilot. to drive around like that all yeah. the time in high school <laughs> and, and <laughs> but I, think, I think that that's um yeah so it's iconic it's iconic and his you yeah spe- you speak to yeah. a couple and, things and, uh, I, another inspiration i actually didn't really think about this but um uh, Drive, uh, the Nicholas Winding Refn yep. film, is very clearly, uh, you know, there's some homages there. Man. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, yeah. So so anyway, it was like all these things. You know, it's like of course I'm going to go see this film. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, though enough, like I don't have a specific memory of the first time I saw it. I, I can't recall if I saw this in a theater. I don't recall if I saw this on home video. I think it's mm-hmm. it's it's likely I saw it in a theater, but I can't remember that. But it's one of those films that I just feel like I've I've always known, right? It's yes, like a film. Yes. I, I just feel like this film is just like kind of a part of my cinematic mind and body. You know, I, I, I like you know, it's like always been there. It was almost yeah. funny. It's like when I you know, of course, I watched it again to get it fresh in my mind. And I, I it actually hasn't even been that long since I've seen it. I saw this with my my wife, I think, and maybe some friends just like maybe four or five years ago. So it's not even been that long since I've seen it watched it again for this and it, it almost just feels like like an old friend you know it just feels like yeah. like i know every moment i kind of you know know every beat i'm like oh yeah there's you know <laughs> look how young P- uh, pacino and de niro is you know oh my gosh you know um oh what's her face gosh i'm like Portman, look how Natalie Portman's just oh, a little yeah. kid. Oh, yeah, I always forget that she's in this, too, somehow. <laughs> I know. I'm always like, I, she always comes on. I'm like, oh, yeah. I know, Natalie I know. Portman. I'm like, look how young she is. And uh, Natalie Portman and Ted Levine are the two people that I'm always, like, happily surprised. I, and I always, I mean, it's like, I, and I always, I have this thing where I'm like Val, I'm like Val Kilmer, who I, I, I quite like, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Val Kilmer and his elbow. Have you ever noticed the giant tumor on his elbow in this movie? No. What? Really? I've never seen not it, to no. digress so far, but I am like, I I cannot not stare at it when I watch this I movie. I have never. If let you, me let me take a look. I'm Google, just looking it up now. You, okay. If you yeah, Google I, Val Kilmer's elbow heat, so I think yes, it's it's yes, on his left arm, and it's like the size wow. of a baseball, and it's right at his elbow. And I don't know what it is. There's like speculation. Maybe it's a lipoma or like, you know, some kind of weird hematoma or something or some kind of benign tumor. I don't know. But holy crap, I'm telling you, every time I watch this film, so it's like just all these little pieces that I'm like, just brings me right back home. I'm like, oh, yeah, Yeah. you know. (laughs) I had never, ever seen that before. That's interesting. Didn't notice it. But... But yeah, a little so, piece of trivia. Little for you. piece of trivia for you. So, uh, so anyway, I guess you know. So, uh, so this is just one of those movies that I feel like it's always been there. It's not, you know, um, it 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 isn't like a, a huge piece of 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 inspiration for me. But it, but in a way, it kind of it, it's not as like hmm, how to say this. It's an inspiration, but it's not like a real flashy inspiration you know like yeah it's not it's it's not flashy i just feel like michael mann is like this stead steady kind of solid you know director who's made a handful of really fantastic films and it Mm -hmm. isn't to say that he doesn't have a specific style he certainly does um but it, but it, I don't know. You know, it's it's understated. Maybe maybe that's a good way to say it. Is this? It's is, very low key. It's very as far as um, how as far as like how I've integrated into my cinema world and how it's become kind of part of my psyche. Yeah, it's kind of under you know a little understated, but nonetheless important. So, 
So yeah, I, you know, this is always, you know, if, if you were to say, hey, you know, list of like, you know, top uh, crime flicks or heist flicks or action flicks, this would be there for me. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I really feel like, you know, in my mind, this is just the way that I kind of skew things. I feel like this is like, a, a, like the best crime heist B movie ever made. It's clearly yes. not a B movie, yeah. but I mean, it's yeah, like yeah. the best heist movie that would be like a genre flick if it didn't have any budget and didn't have Pacino and De Niro in it. Mm-hmm. It's like the best that that could ever be made. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a noir. It's like this mix of like high. You know, it's it's got a lot of noir uh, undertones. I mean, it's shot in a lot of ways noirish. It's like L.A. at night. It's dark. I mean, hell, this would make a beautiful black and white film. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, you know, so 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 yeah. I just this is one of those films that just always feels like it's been there. Can't imagine it not existing. You know. No, it's and I think the other thing too is that it's um, you know it as I sort of mentioned at the beginning it it I think in the way that you're kind of talking about how it's like he's he's very understated with his his style like there's a very clearly a Michael Mann style but it's kind of hard to necessarily like pinpoint because it's not like someone like Spielberg where you could say like oh well you know lots of dollies lots of push-ins these like really fantastically you know yeah. framed shots and and that are that are like blocked exceptionally and and very cinematically for lack of a better term man you know i would say again it's sort of like very tone in the way yeah. that he he kind of like permeates his films it's and, music and the, the themes like it's go theme just are so so kind of hammered home. there's a Not masculinity in an overwrought way but but a uh yeah, a lot of it's yeah, like a lot of it's about you know the masculinity of these characters and you know note like that's what I think is is interesting about this movie is that it also doesn't go in any way to to kind of like redeem like the characters are just kind of like lived in this world they're not well, let's, they're not I want to talk know, I want to talk about that before we get so before we get into any more kind of detail stuff because I feel like it's kind of an extension mm-hmm. of like your personal experience with the film and everything I'm curious. To know, to, to hear, and of course, I'm going to share some nuts, not like I'm putting you on the spot and then I'm not going to do the same, but I'm kind of <laughs> curious, like what you, you know, when you watch this, I assume you watched it again recently for this, you know, mm-hmm. like what's, what's in your interpretation? No wrong answer. Like, what do you think Michael Mann is exploring in this film? Like what parts I mean, of I that think stick like, out to you, you know, like at its, thematically? At its heart i i believe that it's kind of like exploring you know obsession and addiction um okay and things like that and like compulsion um tell me about down to the the final um kind of decision that um that pacino may or sorry de niro makes Mm -hmm. in the film um that it's all about like he just can't let this one last thing go. Yeah. Um, and, and it goes into the, even when it involves relationships, that it's about this like obsession with, with, you know, control over the relationships and, and, um, you know, on the inverse, uh, you know, Pacino's wife is, is obsessed with the idea of just having a normal life. She's, she's like addicted to that. Um, and she just wants this, this happy and that, you know, she goes off and, and has an affair just to, as she says in the film, like just to, have some sort of a closure with him because she just wants things to be like, you know, normal. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. She's dating a, a homicide cop. Yeah. 
um, or married to. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that kind of, again, I think that that uh, really goes through, you know, not necessarily in an explicitly like drug related sense, because there's not really, um, you know, a ton of, of like explicit drug use that comes up in the, the, the I have movie. an interesting piece of trivia, um, though, about that. But it is, but I think that it is, I think it's ultimately about, you know, the downfall of obsession and addiction. You okay. Know, how close De Niro gets to getting out. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and, and, but he just, he just has to, you know, it's always just like the one last thing. It's the one last thing. It's the, you know, yeah. not necessarily in this one, it's not necessarily one last score that takes him down. Well, I guess it's sort of the, the effect of one last score, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of how I see it. Okay. Yeah. And that, Hey, that's totally valid. And I, I, I absolutely, there, there's definitely, I think there's a lot that speaks to that. I mean, Al Pacino, uh, you could certainly argue Al Pacino is both of these characters. Al Pacino is obsessed with the hunt and uh, De Niro is obsessed with applying his craft. You know, he says, mm-hmm. like, I don't know how to do anything different. This is what I'm good yeah. at, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, and that's where I think good art uh, is going to automatically like you're going to have a ton of different interpretations of theme when art is good. So my interpretation is totally different. And what's interesting, at least to me, it's interesting, is that my interpretation has so changed as I've gotten older. I think mm-hmm. when I was your age or younger, I might have said something very similar to what you're saying now. And, and mm-hmm. I, I you know, be just as right as you are. When I watch it now at 46... Uh, I, I see something so different in this film, and I, and, and I actually don't know that I, I either didn't feel this as strongly or, or I didn't kind of think about it long enough to articulate it, you know, the last time I watched it a few years ago. But, but what this film means to me, and when I thought about this, it, it really elevated my appreciation of the film just recently like really elevated it to a level mm-hmm. that i i had not not had not approached this level ever before having seen it um and that's this so and not to get too you know well yeah it's okay we can get philosophical and even yeah, a little personal yeah. sometimes in these things why not that's what we're here to do right um everybody else can talk about lens links and ooh, which i do want to talk to you about in this film because i know you love wide lenses but yeah. <laughs> not michael mann okay uh but let me stay on track so, um, so for me, you know, I, I, here's what I kind of see. It's like, and I think this is really key. So you've got De Niro and he's like, look, I live this life where it's like, uh, I can't have any attachments 30 seconds. If I can't, you know, I have to drop it all in 30 seconds or, and, and be out of here. Like, that's how you've got to be. And, and so you see like he's, De Niro is presented as this, like, I mean, it's very like, he walks into his place and there's like three plates and two cups and there's no furniture. And, you know, it's this beautiful home. Like Lord knows what that home cost on the beach, but there's, it's, there's no life in it. There's no Mm -hmm. life at all. And it's just like, he's, he's gray, gray suit, gray hair, bland, you know, there's like, he's, he's, and he's older. I mean, he's obviously, you know, approaching 50 in this film, right? The character. Um, But let me get to the point, Clark. Um, so when I see this film, what I, what really stands out to me is about the relationships. So if Al Pacino and his relationship with his wife or soon to be ex-wife and, you know, we have De Niro and he has sacrificed to pursue this one thing in his life. He has Mm -hmm. established his life. He has created his life in a way 
where he has no connections to some he doesn't share his life with anybody else there's no romantic connection in his life whatsoever and and it's on purpose because he sees that as a distraction to his purpose mm-hmm. then he meets someone totally on accident completely against his will right and he falls in love or he's falling in love with this woman against his better judgment almost against like his desire because he knows that he can't have these attachments because it'll distract him from being good at his purpose right and and i think this film you know he ultimately he decides to leave the relationship to abandon the relationship to stick with his so-called purpose and he ends up dying because mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm and you have Pacino, who also chooses the same. He makes the same choice. His wife leaves him. His third wife. I think that's his third marriage yeah, in this third film, right? Third marriage, yeah. His daughter, and I think I actually think it's not his biological daughter in the story. No, I think it's they her bring biological. Up dad, yeah, it's her biological. Yeah. But she attempts suicide in his hotel room. Then none of these characters are happy, right? In the end. It's it's not it's not like there's some victory for Pacino even, right? No. It's almost like in fact he's, it's fact it it's quite somber. Implies that that uh, Pacino is almost like is sad, up a little bit sad because for it's sure like these are they they justify they, each other. They justify each other and and they know each other. They know each other. They're both the same thing, mm-hmm. and and so I almost to me I kind of feel like wow this is like a really strong statement about. What happens to your soul when you refuse a call to love? Mm-hmm. And in my, because I feel like there's like a parallel kind of situation happened to me. I made a different choice. I had set my life up. I had designed my life very specifically. To no relationships, no serious attachments. I am pursuing this one dream and that's all I'm doing. And if I have other things then it's going to distract me. I can't have these kind of emotional attachments. They take too much time and energy. I made a different choice. And I'm really happy that I did. Mm-hmm. So obviously, my own experience, my own background, my you know, has colored my interpretation of it. But to me, this is one of the most kick-ass, awesome, subtle, nuanced films about that decision in life. And I think we mm-hmm. all have similar types of decisions that we have to make in our life without being over the top or saccharine or cheesy or, you know? So I don't know. And I think to, to drive that point home to two scenes or two elements, there's yeah. the one moment when they're at the restaurant and De Niro's the only one that's alone. He's the only one without a family and he very yeah. clearly is seeing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the second thing is that who is the villain of the film but somebody who is like an abomination to love, mm. um, who sleeps with prostitutes and murders them. Yeah, um, Wayne Grow is, is really yeah. He's the opposite end of of even like if you were to take, you know, the coin that is De Niro Pacino and, yeah. and those two, and they're at the opposite. Wayne Grow is the, the same thing, and Wayne Grow is is kind of the antithesis of that. Antithesis of that, yeah. Um, so no, I think that yeah, I think that that's definitely a, a, a that's totally um, a really neat way to and and I think that that in line with that, there's there's a direct kind of reference that as well which is just about the the dream about drowning and not having time Mm -hmm. and it's not that you know they don't really say it explicitly but it's not that he doesn't have time to go off and you know 
love the fruits of his labor and sitting on a beach in New Zealand and, you know, relaxing for the rest of his life. It's very clearly an allusion to love and relationships and family. Yeah. And because much like the next thing Pacino says is that, well, he's... He's he's also failing at that. He's on the downward slope of a you know his third marriage. His third marriage, yeah, Um, yeah, and and it keeps also coming to the point that that you know it is totally a distraction. That that it is the the daughter um, Natalie Portman's character attempting suicide that that nearly causes him to let yeah uh, De Niro escape totally. and so I think that there's, yeah, I think that that's a really neat way to, to look at the film. And, and it, um, it's uh, yeah. definitely, definitely, I don't think is, is unintentional. No, I don't, uh, no, no, no. I don't think it is. I mean, there's, cause it's way too strong of a film. Michael Mann is way too, he's specific he's, of a, he's of a much director. too good a filmmaker. That's not yeah. an accident, but we each pick out, you know, we each kind of emphasize different aspects of a good film when the themes yeah. are rich and the filmmaking is nuanced, there's enough room there that we can focus on because obsession is a part of that, right? Mm-hmm. You're not, you're just as valid as me because obsession is part of that. Obsession is obsession with whatever, whatever ambition you have. We have to make decisions like a- a- obsession is part of that. That obsession is a part of ambition, right? Mm-hmm. And the pursuit of your ambition. Um, so this is one of the best films to me that illustrates in a mature way that decision that we all have to make at, at, at least some point and probably yeah. multiple and points the melancholic consequences too yeah right? that this movie every single moment the tone is so melancholic because it's this it's it's the feeling of it's a profound ex- i mean i think i think question. that the like if if i had to um i don't think this is very vulgar but if i had to kind of describe oh, the feeling of this film yeah it's it's like after like an unfulfilling, you know, one night stand or something like that, yeah. right? Like, like it's this feeling of in just what like, way? Just like this, this kind of like emptiness you feel, this melancholic thing of like longing for something, you know, <laughs> perhaps the the one night stands or the robberies in the, in the context of the film. But well, that you can never um, be fulfilled with the superficial or that yeah, if, this yeah. Um, this dissatisfaction. Yeah. And I think that that related to that, um, one thing I do want to briefly talk about too is. Um, what is lacking from the films this is inspired? Um, oh, and yeah. so so I think that um, you know a film that very very clearly and Nolan has said so himself that that he inspired oh, yeah. is The Dark Knight. Yeah, yes. Um, you know, The Dark Knight is is kind of wears heat on its shoulder. It's not especially when you say all. it. Like it might not. You know, when you watch The Dark Knight, it might not be something that you you know you necessarily immediately connect. But the instant you mm-hmm. say that to somebody, if they've seen both films, you're like, ah. Yeah, and and you mean even the the um, Van Zant in in uh, Heat is the same actor yeah, as at the, the bank start in the beginning, of, right? Yeah. So I I I know this is somewhat controversial to say i'm not a huge dark knight fan um, <laughs> so controversial I, I think that um you know i don't i don't dislike it but i, I'm I not, have a happy I'm memory of like, that i have a happy memory of just for one reason i'm not a big oh, fan yeah. of this film from from like a um like a purely cinematic reason but i mm-hmm. i do have a big soft spot because this was one of the first dates that i i think i ever went uh, with my current wife at, oh, there you go. And I remember yeah. we we went to see it, and we filled up like a little plastic water bottle with southern <laughs> with southern comfort, 
Uh, <laughs> and, and like sipped on it in the movie theater yeah. together. And so it was yeah, like one of go. our first dates and we kind of got hilarious. a little tipsy, you know. And so I have I have warm feelings of this film for that yeah. reason. And I mean, I, I had I, I used I loved the movie when it came out. I was I was a big Dark Knight fan. But yeah. I think as I as I've like rewatched it over the years, the editing especially is comparing it with Heat, um, it I think that that's the thing is that he it, it, it is on the surface level trying to do kind of what Heat does of this like crime saga about a, a city of course in the Dark Knight's a fictional city but establishing this like tonal crime saga mm-hmm. but it's missing all of that that deeper context that makes the that that enriches the character that enriches we just you know of course yeah. there's like elements of romance in the Dark Knight of him and Rachel and then Rachel is killed spoilers you know, <laughs> for a 14 year old movie <laughs> but um but but it what I think it's lacking is that 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 tone and that theme permeating like every single moment yeah, yeah. um and i think well, also not on a, a superficial subtle. level that that you look at the comparison between you know the the bank scene the bank robbery scene at the yeah. beginning of the dark knight is like probably the most famous scene in the movie i have a lot of issues with it because you watch it and you go why are these people talking the whole time? They won't <laughs> shut up. They're like going back yeah. and forth about like, well, why does he wear the makeup? Why do they call him the Joker? You know, oh, well, I was hired from this guy. There's this so guy much exposition. And, and it's like, it's like exposition, exposition, exposition. Whereas you compare that to, you know, either of the big robbery set pieces. The first one I would more aptly compare it to, even though they're both set, the second one's set in the bank. But, you know, it opens the movie on this big robbery. Yeah. They are completely silent. In fact, the one character that starts trying to have a conversation is told promptly to shut up yeah um and so i think that it's just one of those things where it's like it and i don't think that christopher nolan is an untalented filmmaker by any right. means sure um you know he's he's clearly got was great. something going for him considering his box office pull and and what he's able to do um but i think it kind of shows the difference between someone who can you know make a really entertaining big blockbuster versus somebody who can like elevate blockbuster to to what i think is like you know a nearing a level of like art house almost yeah like like nearing a level of like you're exploring this aspect of like human condition and humanity dare we say it that Um, that 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 approaches art yes there you go yeah um and so that's what i so that's what i think is so interesting and i think that that i'm not saying this necessarily to knock on the the dark knight to take that down but rather to highlight how good of a director man is in yeah. that way and how good of a writer man is. Um, I think that he is just so fantastic, especially like he's just on his A game and, and you know, the performances too. Um, I guess we can get into that a little bit too. Well, uh, can I say one last thing? I want to yes, say one yeah, last thing because yeah. I think, you know, we talk kind of about some themes and uh, Collateral, I think, came out. Didn't Collateral come out just a couple of years after this? Um, Collateral was 2005. Oh wow! So a decade so about after 10 this. Years. Okay. Um, let me let me actually make Collateral was 2004. 2004 okay. So so years. quite uh, quite a bit afterwards because I think yeah he had like Ali and like Muhammad Ali with Will mm-hmm. Smith and made, um and Miami Vice. Oh that's right. He had Miami Vice with uh, yeah. Colin Farrell mm-hmm. and Jamie Foxx, right? And The Insider. And oh ooh and The Insider. Just not to get too far. I'm going to digress all kinds of places, but The Insider is fantastic. I. I mm-hmm. Uh, it's at least on par with this film. It is a really tremendous film if you haven't seen it. Um, uh, but I would just I, one other thing that I want to because we talked about personal experience and I forgot to mention this and it's also such a recurring theme for for man in his films. In some of them, the way he shoots L.A., mm-hmm. how much Los mm-hmm. Angeles is a character in this film, and yeah. how beautiful Los Angeles looks at night in this film. 
Oh, and he does such a good do- job shooting L.A. and Collateral as well. And of course, in that film, he shoots. He was a. We'll get. Maybe we can get to some of this. But he was a pioneer on digital. He shot a yeah. lot of the night stuff on the the Viper. Um, really early the digital. Really camera. early uh, digital camera to get that uh, really uh, high night light sensitivity. But that actually is something that really stands out to me. I think Heat is kind of one of those films. And Pulp Fiction is actually falls in line with this, too. So there's a reason why these are kind of important to me when I was younger. They're part of this mythologizing of Los Angeles to me, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. It's shot so beautifully. And, and it's not that every place they shoot is, like, technically pretty. Like, they shoot in some pretty nasty, rundown areas, right? Yeah. Um, in yeah. L.A. Um, but in I fact... Very little of this movie is in like a, you know, scenic part of it's L.A. It's quote unquote scenic part of L.A., yeah. but I don't know. It's just like I, I like you talk about the vibe, right? The vibe. It's it's everything together with Los Angeles so prominently. It's just like, whoa, that place is mythic, you know? Mm-hmm. It well, just... and sometimes I think that's the thing about shooting cities that I think, you know, not only specifically to L.A., but just Michael Mann understands is that oftentimes the best way to get a vibe of the city or to get a feel for a city is not necessarily to go to like the most scenic and beautiful or most touristy spots, but yeah, it's to, it's to just, contrary. you know, I, I, whenever I'm around the world in anywhere, um, you know, I was in Venice and I specifically avoided all of the big tourist. I, Wait, like, California? Or... Once. Uh, Venice, Italy. Okay, sorry, because we were talking <laughs> about Venice LA, Beach. so I just didn't um, know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, you know, I, I will go to the like most local kind of, you know, yeah, not touristy places. It's the same thing with, with Toronto. Like, I think that, you know, whenever I'm recommending on people things to do in Toronto to people that are coming here, um, you know, I try to sort of say, like, just walk, like, it's a very walkable city, but just, you know, walk around. Don't, you don't have to necessarily go to all of the the most famous sightseeing to-do lists. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be really nice to, and I think my man really understands that, is that, like, the feel of a city isn't necessarily about its icons, but rather like, you know, what is it like to just walk down a street at night in this place or drive down a highway? Um, he's got that really good kind of, and, and especially with just the way that the, um, and we'll get into this later on, but Elliot Goldenthal's score goes along with, so with good. just the it's feel so of like, you know, there's the, those that, that one, my favorite moment of the score of this movie, and it's so subtle, is when they're driving the van to the um, the place that they're going to drill through the door. Okay. Like kind of their second heist. Yeah, the one they abandoned? Yes, yeah. yeah. And it's just kind of this, like, eerie, like, elongated For, string cord. Yeah, and it and it just, and it's just, a, a, like, probably 20-second shot of this mm-hmm. van driving down the road, and it's on a, it's the shot's from a helicopter mm-hmm. following it. Um, and I think that it's, it's so, you know, it just... It makes you feel like you're there yeah. much more than I think showing, you know, Griffith Park or the Hollywood sign or... Yeah, yeah, uh, all that you know, cliched the, stuff. Uh, Bank of America building or something, yeah. But man is so good at that, you know, and I even had to look up because he shoots L.A. with so much love. And I mean love like a like a local because mm-hmm. he doesn't shoot all those tourist spots that I had to double check. I was like, where's man from? He's actually born and raised in or at least born in Chicago. But okay. I think about yeah. the way he shoots Miami in in uh, Miami Vice, the way he mm-hmm. shoots L.A. in this film and Heat and in Collateral. Yeah. I, I, there's just like, you know, and, and, you know, we talk about, I think we've mentioned this a few times now, but going all the way back to our roots with Herzog and 
you know, Herzog is so good at shooting landscapes that are representative mm -hmm. of some kind of aspect of the human condition that, and Herzog doesn't do that in urban environments very often. It's you know, very he, frequently in. Very frequently, almost yeah. always it's natural landscapes is kind of what he's using. Um, but I feel like that man is almost like that way to cities, mm -hmm. that they really become an integral part. And he kind of takes and highlights the pieces of the city that he wants to take and highlight to kind of, you know, fit into this vibe that he's really going for in, in whatever particular film he's shooting. Obviously, like, you know, the vibe he gets from uh, Miami and Miami Vice is radically different than L.A. here in Heat. But mm -hmm. I just think that he, it's exceptional. But that well, I think I think another it's just to kind of, I guess, harp on Herzog for a second. Yeah, yeah, um, please. That it's not um, I wouldn't really describe it as as like realistic. No, it's, it's a surreal. More like yeah. it's like goes back to the kind of truth versus fact kind of thing, where it's like it's the truth about L.A., not the factual right day to day yeah. street life of L.A. It's, it's the emotional. It's, it's, the, it's the emotional truth and the authentic like yeah. feeling. So uh, that much more than it is. You know, again, you're not you're not just otherwise it would just be them sitting in traffic all day and and so. <laughs> remind me where because i want to go back you know you were making this comparison to the dark knight which i think is an interesting comparison i want to take it just a step do you remember what where did they shoot what were where was the city footage shot for the dark uh, knight shot in chicago primarily it, was it shot yeah. in chicago and because yeah. obviously yeah. they're trying to represent a fake place gotham but gotham's mm -hmm. kind of new york sort of and isn't yeah isn't it's gotham like a kind really of manhattan for like northeast big it, northeast like because yeah. I, I don't know much about comic book stuff but gotham is really kind of just basically new york city right isn't it it's so i think i don't know much about comic books either but I, my understanding is that <laughs> gotham is supposed to be new york city at night and metropolis where superman is oh, supposed to be new york city right. during the day oh like it's kind i of forgot like they there's like metropolis them into two different cities are those two different comic book worlds though right like one no no, no that's and superman one's... and batman are, are they exist in the same oh they're in the same yeah. universe okay yeah. all right so um, i think that that's it it's supposed to be like gotham is new york at night <laughs> And like parallel metropolis is but, is, but know, again daytime. but I, I guess that's less important but what i was going to try to say is that at least my recollection i mean it's like you look at how differently those cities are shot and i just you know i don't know i just don't get you know the same kind of like feeling from how those cityscapes are shot in that in the dark night yeah. just doesn't have Where the same is... story impact to me as how los angeles is shot uh, and he and I and an example and it's kind of interesting too because this story kind of encases a little piece of trivia too. Probably most people know, but there's that really beautiful scene where, um, where um, oh gosh darn it, I've got to like the, I'm having a hard time with the characters. It's Neil, right? Isn't yes, Neil, Neil the is, uh, De, De Niro. where Neil's like you know the, the the relationship is blooming with Edie and they're out overlooking Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's shot on a. I think it's shot on a green screen. So that was shot on a green screen, but yeah. of course, all of the footage of Los Angeles is real. Is real. Yeah. I mean, they really shot it, and then they created a plate, and then you know, and then they put them green screen. And this, of course, is part of like the 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 issues with light sensitivity and dynamic range of a film camera. And, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So that's why he did that. It's just a tech. Still looks good. Still looks things. good. Actually, yeah. I mean, yeah, it still looks really good. Um, but I just feel like it, it, the way Los Angeles is used as a character in this film, it's just, 
you know? That's another difference, I think, between the storytelling um, of Michael Mann in Heat versus Dark Knight, which is weird that I, we kind I, of went down direction. I also want to want to add because I think I know we're sort of going on a little bit of a tangent. We're just about, going everywhere about today. Batman Why not? For some reason, yeah. But um, that it also, to me, points again to to perhaps the shortcomings more of the Dark Knight um, than it does of of like fictional film or city. Because you think about. Uh, Burton's Batman's Gotham is totally a character in those. There's there's totally oh, yeah. such stylized. a rich characterization yeah. of yeah. Gotham, and even in the new Batman film that just came out this which year, which I, I haven't seen that. Um, yeah. Which I actually I actually enjoy. I would say that I really really like the first two thirds and the last third. I was okay with. But yeah, I'll have to we'll watch. Get, maybe we'll do point. an episode on I, it one I day. I think it's um, free to watch on like it's streaming HBO, somewhere think, here yeah yeah, yeah. um but um but even even that it really i think one of the really smart things that matt reeves did who's the director is he it, because it's a new batman world it's a new batman and all that you got to establish all this stuff is that he spends like the first like 15 minutes building up the most i i want to say like the most gothic interpretation of of like gotham city mm. ever and i again i'm not a big superhero guy i don't yeah I don't really i'm not really into comic books and things like that and, right but I really appreciated the the like the craftsmanship that went into establishing what this city feels like, um, and it gives it so much character. And it really kind of it does it sort of you know much like Michael Mann makes makes L.A. a, a, a character, it makes Gotham a character in that, which is important. Um, yeah, which is is odd that that you don't really feel I don't feel it either in the Dark Knight, not at considering all, considering how influenced it is by he and how open nolan is about that influence because right. nolan has done many interviews where he's specifically cited heat as as like the big like he wanted to do heat in gotham city essentially yeah um so i think it's i think it's interesting and again no knocking on you know i'm not trying to no, knock on nolan um but i think that perhaps that just shows that maybe maybe his strong seat suite is in more the like the high dimensional sci-fi stuff than it is in um this kind of particular style Right. Uh, well, I, you know, and boy, we could go, I mean, there's so much we could say about this film. Um, but I, I want to make sure that we, not to, not to say that we, we can't do any more of these fun, uh, comic book movie comparisons, but mm -hmm. I do want to talk about something that I feel like is so integral to this film and its success. And that's the performances. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. holy crap. Right. I mean, you know, like I was saying before, I remember such a huge part of the marketing campaign for this film was, you know, De Niro, Pacino, together, da-da-da, you know. Mm -hmm. And we've got so many wonderful actors and so many fantastic performances in this. And um, uh, it's, it's just, it, you had actually shown me, so I hadn't seen it until just before uh, the, our recording here. You showed me like a little snippet of, so to give some background, um, so Michael Mann been working on this project for a long time. He actually wrote the first draft in 79 yeah. and he turned it, I think into it, it was shot once in not an identical form, but it was shot once as a TV pilot. So this was potentially mm -hmm. going to be a television series at one point. It was point. 90 minutes, I think yep. it was the TV pilot. Yeah. And so, um, I don't think, uh, I don't know how much of that survives, but you did point me to, um, the diner scene. Of mm -hmm. course, in Heat, it's De Niro and Pacino, and yeah. in the television uh, pilot, it's two totally different actors, of course. And I'm like, wow. I mean, talk about <laughs> it, talk about mind blowing. I mean, especially yeah, yeah. if you're if you're a student of acting or directing, and you want to see how much a scene can be changed, because the dialogue's identical by the performance. Yeah, it's everything is identical. Talk about mind blowing. 
talk yeah. about mind blowing. Um, you take you take what is a not great scene in the TV show to one of the iconic scenes of the movie. Yeah, because one of the iconic scenes of a very iconic movie. Well, and what it highlights um, what it highlights to me is how absolutely vital subtext is. Yes. Yeah. It, this is a really wonderful example about how an actor brings in can can bring in so much subtext, so mm -hmm. much gravitas, so much story in between every word, in between every line. Yeah, because, with just a simple like look. Yeah. You can you can just you know, I think that De Niro and Pacino in that moment say more with their eyes and their body language than than um the you know, in the TV show. But I think the other thing too is that um you can, by the way, get it. I think I think it is readily available on DVD or something. Oh, they is did it? Release it as a, oh, a TV as movie. A, as a TV movie. Okay, um, so there you go. Yeah, you could. You but could I think that it, it also it showed like you can see, you know how important cinematography is. You know the sh the scene, the TV show scene is shot very flat. It's it's just kind of like two, you know, yeah. over small the shoulders, budget, which is little similar time. to what it is in Heat. But I, I think what I kind of want to stress is that it's not even the amount of money in the heat scene that makes it look good it's just the artistry mm -hmm. you know you could you could very easily except for the fact that heat is shot on anamorphic and you know the tv show is spherical and anamorphic is typically more expensive um you could make those look very similar on similar budgets not including the actors fees <laughs> I well think that aspect Pacino ratios might be a bit expensive aspect um, ratio but that's but... what i mean is that like that if you were to just you know, as I think the pilot was shot in like 19 days, so they didn't have a lot of time. Um, versus the film was shot over 107. Yeah. Um, but it just kind of goes to show you how how like, you know, and I know we're we're talking about performances, but beyond just the performances, that that putting a little bit of 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 thought and work and and you know just that extra thing, like these little tiny changes that you make, can can change a scene so fundamentally. Um, but I do, you know, I think that. De Niro is is like so incredible in this movie. Yeah, De Niro's um, just Pacino is off the rails, <laughs> and it's really really fun. Like I want to talk to you about great, that for a second. Moments. I want to talk to you about that for a second because I think <laughs> you know I. <laughs> so this is definitely dear. I mean, look, Pacino has always been, <laughs> you know, an interesting actor. I, I I love him. I love him. By the way, subtle is not often a word that you would use to describe. Pacino's acting from like you know eighty five on, right? Yes, yeah, which is weird because prior to that, like the Godfather, he's in the first no, few Godfathers. He's, he's pretty... insanely low key, insanely yeah. subtle. Yeah. But in this film, I forgot how many great like one liners that Pacino has, where he just like explodes into like <laughs> like caricature land, but somehow it works. Like somehow. Now, I mean, I do have to admit, like, there's a few times I kind of snickered, you know, it kind of took me a little bit out of the film, and I kind of, you know, mm -hmm. in my own mind, I'm like, She's oh, my... has got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Um, but it's, hey, but you can't deny it's it's entertaining, it's funny, uh, it's definitely colorful, and... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I guess you, you could definitely uh, defend it, you know, in most of these instances. I mean, he at least he, he's consistent. It's 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 fairly. I think, yeah, I think it, I, I honestly think it works. Um, it works. It's it's 
I think if it was anybody else trying oh, to do that, no, it would not. It would not. But I think the fact that it's Pacino and and he, you know, of course Pacino is, you know, just the master. He he he. Um, yeah. You know, he does the the uh, Lee Adler, Lee Strasberg, and uh, I think he I think he he <laughs> runs that school now or something. Oh, I don't like know. The vice yeah. chair or something. I can't. Yeah. Um, but very famous acting school in New York. But yeah. um. And I just think it's, I, th- I always think it's, you know, I would rather that than someone just doing nothing with a character well, and just reading. One of the, the other reasons know. I think it works is because, so imagine, imagine if, you, if Pacino played it as straight and subtle as De Niro. Oh, yeah. Now you've exactly. got two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like you have to have a contrast. And I feel like, honestly, if Pacino wouldn't have done this, if he would have played it so low key and kind of so focused and straight, I, I, I feel like. He, there wouldn't be enough contrast between the two characters. There wouldn't be any mm-hmm. any color between them. So, I, you know, but it is kind of funky. I do, so the interesting piece of trivia, I do remember reading, I can't it's relatively recent that, that Pacino was being interviewed, and gosh, I don't know if it was for print or if it was, you know, in person and then written down. I'd, I'd have to go back and look. But I remember, and I don't know, I know for sure this is what he said. There's no way to prove, of course, is what he's saying, is what he's saying true, because mm-hmm. he might have just been defending his performance, I don't know, but it is on record if you Google it that he is quoted as saying that there was an aspect of his character that never made it into the final film, which was that Pacino's character was chipping cocaine throughout oh, the film. Right. Okay, I which I could imagine. So that so <laughs> that it was actually like before some of these moments, like he was actually periodically using cocaine. So mm-hmm. that part of his performance was like that's you know he was like this drug-fueled, obsessed cop. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that who knows, you know? But I think it works without that. But it even works like, without that would it. Make, that would add a, a bit of sense to it, too. Yeah, it would definitely. Um, yeah, I think that he, um, you know, I, I really, I, I, you know, I, I just like, I like Pacino, and I, I think that, but I also, I think that the, and this is also involves the direction, but that moment when they are looking at, uh, that Neil on the TV in the truck, they're they're like in the they're the cops are ready for the bust in the in the truck and they're oh, looking oh, at oh, the, oh, the heat yeah. vision yeah yeah and then the cop sits down and hits his gun against the thing yeah yeah and the way that scene sets up the fact that they're looking at each other is so like it's rare that you're in a movie and or you're watching a movie and you, you're you're sitting there and you know it's just two people staring at the camera yeah and they're cutting back and forth and you're going oh they're like. They well, are looking at each I other. Wanna, they know that each other are there. So I'm so, so glad, great. I'm so glad you brought this up because I. Okay, so I'm gonna. You know, we're still talking about performances, but I think this is really key. Uh, we and we didn't talk about this in Michael Mann's direction, mm-hmm. the lens choices here and the framing yes, choices yeah. of faces. Yeah. And I know you and I have different ways that we like to shoot. I mean, not that it's the only ways we like to shoot or anything. I mean, you know, it it always depends on the story, but. But I have a tendency to. I've, I've, I'm curious what you think about it because you have a lot of, a lot of longer lenses, at least not wide, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this film. Yeah. And you have this is a this is like I, I don't know if it's two three five or two four, but it's there, right? This is not a sixteen. Yeah, nine. two three nine about two yeah, three nine. Be, okay. Two three nine. Yeah. And so you've got and it's anamorphic. So it's it's two three nine. It's anamorphic. You've got forehead to chin framing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all throughout this film. And some yeah. even, and some even closer. Longer. And even when they use a wider lens, the characters are like. There's the one shot of P- 
Pacino on the phone when they're trying to catch Val Kilmer. And, and, and that's a and wide lens, and which he's right up pushing there. in that. And that's actually yeah. one of the few instances where they use a wide lens. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it stands out. I'm yeah. So uh, I, I feel like this is a big this this uh, is a big part of what you were talking about about how important faces are and how important looks are and about how mm-hmm. important relationships are characters recognizing looking analyzing dissecting each other right um but it's something that really stands out to me in this film very tight framing um and i'm curious like what did you think because i know that you're not a fan of no i i like i mean i i i um you know i like wide lenses but conrad hall is my favorite cinematographer of all time and he very rarely used any wide lenses like he yeah. very rarely shot wider than a 50 yeah um and so i i really love the look of it and i you know i think the the thing for it me makes people is, look so good um, i i you know a lot of the times that i'm using like a wider lens and things like that it's more so influenced by the, the subject matter than it is of course of course by, by um you that's know, why i said it's not like yeah. you can't do anything else i didn't mean that yeah and so so i i love um but no i i, I like i love the look of this movie yeah um in fact the, the only anamorphic lens that i have i think is a i think it's about a hundred millimeter anamorphic so it's about a, equivalent to a 50 spherical in terms of width yeah, so it's not not too long it's um, right there in the middle yeah not super long Mm-mm. but um definitely you know you need to get pretty far back to to get a full body or something like that yeah um and so yeah i think that i think that also the other thing is that i find anamorphic looks really good uh long well, i always love I think anamorphic. anamorphic i think anamorphic looks good either way but i think that anamorphic like is one of those things that particularly looks like just because you'll get a shallower depth of field yeah you'll get those stretched bokeh like yep. the ovular bokeh and you get the background that and... beautiful center focusing kind of yeah, draws there's, your there's eyes something to the about, center it's really difficult to explain but there's something about when you're shooting on an anamorphic lens and you and you you won't really know this until you do or at least until you have like edited footage or until you're sitting with a camera with an anamorphic lens and you're moving it around and looking at how the 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 image shapes around the movement because of course it's a lens that's stretching image light Mm -hmm. two times higher than it's supposed to be um that there's something about a long anamorphic lens if you're pointed at someone and they're far away and you've got you can see the the the, the ground coming towards the lens mm-hmm. and coming towards the camera you can sort of get a little bit of horizon that there's this there's this centering feeling of of whatever yeah. the subject is right um and it's similar to center focus but it's yeah. also sort of goes beyond that to this like the way that the lens just handles edges and and um well how, how it, it handles distorts. light at edges is so beautiful yeah. and and you look at uh the anamorphic obviously this is all shot anamorphic so why we're talking about it but those nighttime so much of how i think that the city looks so beautiful in this film mm-hmm. is because of that mm-hmm. is because of the that use of anamorphics and it's almost like the city lights are stars there's this beautiful twinkling this beautiful yeah, distortion yeah, yeah. um and part of that's atmosphere part of that is you know, uh, is part of the lens, but it's, it's really just, it's, it's, it's so, it romanticizes the city, I think. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I really love, uh, like I'm actually gearing up when I return from my, my trip this summer, which is going to be three months away, um, to DP, a film that I'm planning on shooting on primarily yeah. longer anamorphic lenses. So, so no, I think that this movie looks great. Um, 
I also I really like wide lenses. Man doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> but, not in um, this film. but no, I, I love. Uh, I kind of I like a mix. Yeah, I, like... I can't recall. I can't recall. You know, I'd have to go back and kind of reevaluate or, or watch again or refresh in my mind his other films. I'm not sure if he, you know, if that's just a choice he made for this film or if it's a choice that he uses through a lot he of his films. He tends to shoot longer. Okay. Um, like, like, not like, Re- regardless uh, of DP on his film or is yeah, it? Okay. Yeah. I think he likes the look of longer lenses um, yeah. and not to a degree of like, I know the Safdie brothers, mm-hmm. they are always at like minimum 80 millimeters. Yeah. Um, if you've seen, uh, uncut gems or good time, right. it's like you're, and it works really well for their style. I think that they're really, really great filmmakers. Um, but they they love to get right. <laughs> yeah, know, but like faces look so see. beautiful. I mean, there yeah. are some there. You know, it's like some of these. Clo- I like you mentioned that one with Pacino on the phone, and he's like, you know, um, talking to a dead man on the other line of this phone. That's mm-hmm. a wider lens, but I just mean how man really focuses on faces. There's some yeah. you know extreme close-ups of Pacino's. It's just really really uh, beautiful and effective. Well, a really technical, I don't do too long on this, but uh, one thing to, to note about anamorphics is that um, a wider anamorphic will always distort the face less than a spherical. Mm-hmm. And that's because you're still getting the height of double that length. Yeah. So if you're even on a, you know, let's say like a the, what would be the equivalent width of an 18 millimeter spherical on anamorphic, you're going to get a much more natural looking face that, that looks like a 42 um or I guess 36 millimeter. It won't, it won't millimeter. pull out the nose and everything and kind of highlight as, as much. Yeah, yeah. exactly, because you're not going to be as close to the person. Yeah. Um, but you're getting that width and you're getting that height of of the, you know, the double what the... Um, right. What the focal length is. So, yeah, I guess back to performances. Back to performances, because there's um, more than just Al Pacino and De Niro, and it's like there's, yeah, there's so yeah. much we could say I, and I, we're I, already I'm at an hour. But, I mean, we talked about, you know, Val Kilmer is in this film. I, I'm... Um, you know, he, he has a smaller supporting role, but I think it's an important one because mm-hmm. he is the one character that kind of contrasts um, the other two, uh, you know, Pacino and De Niro, as far as well, relationships. Yeah, he's implied go. to be younger. I, well, I, he is for yeah. sure. But as far as relationships go, right, yeah, he yeah. actually, you know, he actually has a, a strong connection. Mm-hmm. to a significant other and you know his character is like the sun rises and sets on her and so i think it's an interesting uh contrast to the other two characters who don't have anything like that in their life that's not the or that's not the way they orientate themselves to their world and you know when we were talking about themes i think that's important but um so i think Val and I, Pel- I think i think that that that's sort of um why i specified that he's he's younger is not just the matter of age but it's yeah. it's sort of to me it's like that's it. Like he's got this almost like young romanticized naivety that saves him in the end. Mm. Um, that that almost like he's too young to be the cynic. Ah, uh, see, so you that see Bob it as the hero is. I, you see it as young. That's that's fair. That's fair. I see it as you know. I think that it's it's because he was will because he um, I guess accepted love or had committed himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that it'll be curious. Total, boy, we're just digressing all over the place on this one. I'd be curious to see if his yeah. if his character and his wife come back in the yeah. book, which is August, the sequel that Michael Mann has written that comes out on August 9th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I'd be really curious to see. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to pick that up. I'll be really must. curious. To, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to put yeah, money on that I, he does. <laughs> I'm going to be really curious to see. But I get, you know, yeah. so I think Val Kilmer's great in this. 
Um, yeah. We had talked about how I can't watch this film without seeing his elbow. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, you that. Uh, John Voight, I think, is interesting in this. A, a, a fun little piece of trivia. John Voight kind of plays Nate the Fence. Um, uh, his character, the look of his character, is actually based on uh, a real person. And, oh, who it was, um, now I, I should have this queued up, but it was based on a real person and it this what was it what did i say it was was it edward bunker is that edward bunker yeah so edward bunker so based on this guy edward bunker who was a real felon uh when he got out of prison he turned to screenwriting and he even did some acting and he was actually in reservoir dogs uh at that uh like the diner table scene in the very beginning so mm-hmm. if you yeah. if you google this guy or you check out reservoir dogs you can see that john voight was made up to look very very similar to mm-hmm. uh to bunker and you can really see how I, I think a lot of these characters were kind of inspired by man um they were based on either you know real people or kind of aggregates or pieces of real people uh, and that just happens to be one of them yeah I mean, I think, uh, you know, other, I think, um, I think Amy, uh, so Amy, is it Brenneman? Amy Brenneman plays Edie. I think think that's a really interesting choice. I almost feel like her character stands out. I think this is on purpose from all the other people in this story so starkly. Yeah. I mean, part of it is her accent. Part of it is, you know, she's an outsider to Los Angeles. She's naive. She's young, or at least... She's naive to this world that we're in. Not that she's naive as a, as a human being in general, but she's naive to this world of crime and criminals. And um, so she, I think she's she's perfect, and I think she does a really great job of playing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she stands out to me um, as just being so different than any of these other characters. I love, uh, as I've said, Ted Levine is one of my favorite oh, actors. Oh, yeah, and Ted Levine. And reminds he's me. always just these like little characters that he puts so much energy, so much just characterization and energy into. And like you can tell that he's an actor that has like a binder of notes on like, what this character <laughs> does every day for, you know. We should try to get him on the. And... We, need to try, we need to finally start trying to get some guests, man. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, if I could talk to Ted Levine. Yeah. I would be set. That would That'll be, be awesome. Our grand finale episode. We're no, we're never getting higher than never that. Never getting it's <laughs> it. We just have to call yeah. it after that because I think. Um, but no, I, I, Ted Levine is just. I think he's a fantastic. Of course, if you don't know him, um, he also played uh, Buffalo Bill in, um, which is one of your favorite films. In, in Silence of the Lambs, of the he Lambs. also played. Yeah. Um, uh, he was in something recent. Oh yeah, he was in like one of the new Jurassic World movies or oh, something. Oh lord, I don't even know um, what. <laughs> I, never, I didn't. I didn't see it, so I don't know. But yeah. I heard that that was kind of like a someone. Someone was like, I was there watching Jurassic World, and suddenly Ted Levine showed up. Yeah, um, yeah. and he plays one of the like like the de- one of the detectives. detectives. He's like the he he's gets like shot. His, uh, he's Pacino's like sidekick. Right, and he gets or, shot. Guess, right, and yeah, Pacino partner. just kind of stands over his dying body and just like yeah. moves on and lets moves him die. Like the, pre- the presumably, presumably lets him die in the street while he pursues uh, yeah. De Niro. I and mean, I think that that I actually quickly yeah to digress one more yeah, time yeah. real quick let's do it i want to mention that that's one of the things that i think also kind of it talks about like a theme of obsession is that that pacino is willing to kill so many people oh to God. catch these guys yeah for the money they stole and i, I you know you're sitting there watching that moment where they're shooting out like the middle of downtown la 
and you're like, how many, how much money is each of these lives <laughs> worth? Like, because there's bystanders getting shot, there's, you know, there's lots of property damage. Um, so you, he he very clearly, it's like this this obsession that Pacino has is like, you know, what? no, I'm not gonna let them escape and get get them later, and you know, I'm gonna I my goal, my strive yeah. is to catch him and to, you know, he cannot win. I mean, he uh, shoots the the one, he shoots Tom Sizemore's character yeah. while yeah. he's holding a child. Yeah. You could yeah. easily miss. Yeah. yeah. That is not protocol. <laughs> no, I don't think that's protocol. No. Um, but yeah, yeah, Ted Levine, Jean Voight, uh, what's his name is in it? Uh, uh, Danny Trejo is in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, that's right. Danny Trejo. Natalie he's got Portman. got a smaller role. Natalie, Natalie, Natalie Portman, Portman is like, I don't know how old, 10 or something maybe in this movie. I mean, yeah, she who is, is a very large plot point around her, but she only probably has not like a ton of screen time, 18 lines. <laughs> so she was like born in 81. Uh, so she would, this probably shot in what you said, 94. Did it shoot? 90? 95. It was the summer of 95. So shot. So yeah. 14. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so was that before or after she did um, Leon? Leon. I think Leon was a couple of years before this, but I'd have to. We'd have to do a little. Ninety four. Uh, so it was a year before. I guess year, they might have shot Leon in ninety three as well. Yeah. So. Okay. So there you go. And you've got like Hank Azaria is is in it, and for, oh, yes. sleazy yeah. plays a really sleazy dude. And then, okay, I, I don't know so much about the actor who plays this character. So the actor is Kevin Gage, but okay, Wayne Grow. Can I just say? Oh yeah, I that name is so weird to me. I don't know what it is about that name, but I am hung up on that name. It is weird. Does that name ever? Does it seem weird to you? Like it's, when they're like, you know what I think it is? It sounds like Wayne Grow, secessionist, like plantation owning <laughs> kind of thing. Like, I, don't I think know it, which what matches it is. up with him because he's like a Nazi. Oh, he he's horrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I'm just like Wayne Grow. Like, what kind of name is that? It's like yeah. Wayne. It's like Wayne, but Grow. he's a he's a he's a he's great. That I mean, no, he plays that role no, so well. I think that that's just a um, one of the brilliant things about his character is that you could so easily have just had him, you know, screw up the heist and make that, and then kind of betray them later. Yeah. But the fact that they go the extra level to make him this serial killer, yeah, um, is I think a really interesting choice. And I I've heard people say that it's kind of pointless in the movie but no i, I kind of like it no, i think that it really adds this like you want that guy dead yeah <laughs> like yeah like no. you're almost cheering when when de niro decides to pull off the road to go kill him because yeah. you're like you know what he deserves he deserves to be shot <laughs> well I, I like that this film does jump back and forth to subplot to subplot and so you mm-hmm. have relationship moments you have character moments and this is a character moment for him i do say i mean speaking of that character briefly though i, I do have to say i mean look there's one little weird like story thing to me that doesn't quite add up, and that's mm-hmm. this. If I were writing, let's say, okay, let's play a game. If Clark were writing this, like like somehow yeah. I'm going to write it better, but let's just pretend for a minute. I feel like the whole beginning, like the, so much of this plot is about how how good De Niro and his team are at what they do. That's an important plot point, right? That De Niro... That, that Neil McCulley is an absolute stone-cold professional, right? That's an important mm-hmm. plot point. And we spend a lot of time establishing that they are straight-up professionals. Like, they know how to shoot. They know how to, like, blow holes and stuff. They know how to plan everything. Like, they're amazing criminals. How in the hell did Wayne Grow get on the team? 
Yeah, and he they is, meet him for the, he's like meeting him for the first time when I they, mean uh, that's the, ridiculous, dude. Yeah. No team of professionals would bring a totally unknown person yeah. on a job, yeah. totally unknown, and further, you can see during the hot during the, the holdup of the armored car, he's not needed. There's no yeah. actual reason for him to be there. Yeah. He doesn't perform any special, specific, specialized task. All he does is stand there with a gun, muscle. and there's yeah. already people standing there with guns. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I know I totally, I totally. Uh, so, so that's you know. one of those things that now I, if I were writing it, he would have been a regular member of the team. And and he just like and you know has he, they have friction and there's some right and there's some friction yeah. or something there. But I also would have made it, and that way when he betrays them or when he like tries to you know like you could have him betray the team. It's anyway. That's what I would have changed. That just felt weird to me about his character. Why in the world is this amazing team of burglars letting in this unknown element? But I digress. Mm -hmm. um, ooh, Henry Rollins is in this. Do you know who Henry Rollins is? I've heard the name. Let me look him up and so see. So uh... we don't have to. I could just tell you. But so Henry Rollins. Oh yeah, yeah. He's the he's the he's security, the security guard. Yeah. So he plays a very small role in this. I but, thought that he looked so much like uh, Colin Farrell. But it is. <laughs> but it is a. But but he is a super interesting dude, and you know uh, he started off in music. I mean, State of Alert, Black Flag, especially. I mean, he he also Rollins band was had a moment. Um, mm -hmm. but he's done a ton of stuff, dude. And he's I, a musician. He's a, he's singer, a musician. Right? Yeah. He's like a spoken word artist. He's a writer. He's been in a lot of movies playing small roles activist. like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he's a super interesting guy. And I actually, it was about 94, 95. I actually saw him in Columbia, Missouri at a place called the Blue Note, which is a small theater. I saw him do a spoken word. Uh, right about the time that this film would have been released. So he maybe he had just shot it, but he was touring the country doing spoken word, and uh, I saw him at about the time that this film was released. Um, but he's in a bunch of little films around this mm -hmm. time. Yeah, Tone Loke, who was like a... He had yeah, like a 15 yeah. minutes of fame. He was a big rapper. He had a couple hits that was like... Oh geez, like Funky Cole Medina and Wild Thing, I think, were like two big hits that he had in the early '90s. It's kind of funny to see him there. There and Jeremy Piven, who yes, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Piven plays like the little veterinarian that stitches up uh, Val Kilmer, and it's interesting to note that in 1995 he had less hair than he has in 2022, which is an interesting little you know yeah, scientific I mean, miracle. But it's just yeah, it's one of those things. <laughs> Must be something in the water. <laughs> Must be something in the water, yeah. Anyway, but there's just a bunch of fun people in this, you know, even if they're just in small roles, but it's fun to see mm -hmm. them. And and I yeah. think and and I think in general, I mean, Michael Mann, I think performances are pretty much across the board in his films are, are pretty dar generally pretty darn stellar. Yeah. Oh my and goodness. It's it's, it's, it's a hundred percent recommend if you haven't seen it. I mean, geez, it. we we have like how many things? I mean, we've covered just about everything, including comic books and. 
Yeah, this I'd has like, been a wide, uh, wide range. Yeah, yeah. Was um, there anything? Can you think of anything that you that we missed? I mean, the only thing I also about? I also want to say that we sort of I briefly touched on was just that Elliot Goldenthal's uh, score oh, is yeah. fantastic. Um, it's it's I mean, a really it's, yeah, it's you a, can, I think it's a really, I'd recommend just listening to it. Yeah, it's a really beautiful kind of a, a little bit of like synthy, a little bit electronicy, um, kind of ambient. Like if this were a mm-hmm. genre of music, I would put this in like an ambient, you know. Um, yeah, for yeah. almost all of it, there is like really some more... um, just kind of like wallpaper in a lot of scenes. Nothing, no, there's no like stings on moments or anything like that. No, it's, it's just, just really of... subtle. It's yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's it, there are a few like more traditionally instrumented. Is that a, is instrumented yeah. a word? Yeah, I guess orchestrated more or whatever, orchestrated. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a few moments like at the end of the film um, that that kind of have like an extra emphasis. But yeah, it's a really yeah. When Wayne Grow is the, the ending bit with Wayne Grow, there's like a really big kind of guitar riff that's that's really cool. Oh I love that thing. yeah, yeah. There's it's called some Predator Diorama in the soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's an interesting score. Elliot does a really good job with it. Uh, I th- and uh, yeah, I think it's a big, big, big part of what gives this film that vibe that you talk about. And I think yeah. Michael music. Yeah has always been, I mean, even as far back as Miami Vice, I mean, that was the big, he kind of broke big ground by having modern current pop music as mm-hmm. score in a television show had really not been done yeah. before. Yeah. Um, of course, then a lot of uh, people like um, uh, Quentin Tarantino specifically, just talked about him last time, kind of took mm-hmm. at that and really ran with it. But um but yeah, uh, well, man, I we should probably wrap it up at an hour and 15 yeah. minutes in, but um, this has been a fun film to talk about. I'm glad that you picked it, and uh, I'll have to... I don't know that I can make my choice so quickly, so give me a little bit of time to think. I, I will. But I will. I, will, I will pick something that hopefully will be as equally interesting. But yeah, well... Um, well, everybody out there, thanks if you've made it this far. Thanks for hanging out with us for an mm-hmm. hour and 15 minutes. We hope it was enjoyable. Uh, Colin, thank you so much for the good conversation. It's always yeah. a pleasure. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Yep. Yeah, bye, guys. Bye.